Let's take our Bibles tonight and go to the book of Romans. Last Sunday evening, we talked about doctrine, and sometimes doctrine is misunderstood. Uh, Maybe sometimes it's given more, uh, a different flavor than even what the scripture gives it. Some people say, I want to go to a church where they preach doctrine. I think we all understand what that means. Uh, they, they mean we want to see what the, what the scripture actually says. But sometimes people mean I want to hear my particular teaching uh, emphasized. And so we, we went back and started with this idea of, of scripture. Uh, it's very clear in scripture that doctrine is, what's the next word? Anybody know? Teaching. teaching. Doctrine is teaching. And it's not properly even good teaching, which is why there are qualifying words put in front of it. What's a word put in front of doctrine sometimes? Sound doctrine, that's one. What's another one? I don't think that is in Scripture, but we know that there is false doctrine, but not that actual word. Um, There's another one, uh, sound, good doctrine, right? And uh, that, that same sound doctrine phrase could be applied to, the, wor- to the, the phrase sound words, the form of sound words. In other words, what does the scripture actually say? Not what do I want it to say? I'll give you an example. Uh, in, in Luke, the Bible says that when one sinner repents, there is joy where? In the presence of the angels. So technically, it doesn't say that the angels are rejoicing. It does, it, they, they might be. It doesn't say that they're not. It just says that there's joy in the presence of the angels. So we have songs and, you know, uh, books that are written about it, things like that. Nothing wrong with saying that the angels are rejoicing, except we understand that the angels don't understand. Uh, we know that the angels don't understand redemption in that sense. And so it just goes back to understanding what does the Bible actually say, and then we build out from there. We talked about how the word doctor is uh, someone who teaches doctrine. So the doctors of the law or the teachers of the law. When you go to the doctor, he has a set of beliefs that he has been taught and he will teach you. Uh, By the way, that's the way it's supposed to be. You go to the doctor and the doctor teaches you. Sometimes they don't teach you anything. Sometimes they don't know. And uh, and sometimes uh, they can give you information. You don't agree with it. But we pay them, right? They don't pay us to come in. And so we have to listen. We at least listen to what they have to say. Doctrine, teaching, truth, sound words. These words, uh, 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 phrases are used multiple times in the Bible. Scripture also uses the phrase wholesome words. And uh, it's important to remember that because there are a couple of doctrines specifically mentioned in Revelation. There's the doctrine of Balaam, and there's actually, doesn't say this exact phrase, but uh, it is the teaching of a woman in Revelation. Does anybody remember the name? Jezebel. It's the doctrine of Jezebel. It's what Jezebel taught. And she taught it in 1 Kings, and somehow she's going to be teaching it in Revelation. That spirit of Jezebel. And so this teaching, this, uh, if you will, system of, of, of beliefs about something. That's what we, uh, we have to understand. That's what we know about in Scripture. That's what doctrine means. Now, I, we talked last week about fundamentalism and how we have much to, to be grateful for and thankful for from fundamentalism. Uh, before you look down your long snout of fundamentalism, remember where your uh, the people who influenced you, where they came from. Um, it's easy to look at your parents and say, they did this wrong, that wrong, that, yeah. But you know what? They're your parents. And you wouldn't be here without your parents. See Biology 101. We came from somewhere. So our church, uh, where do we come from? Well, as far as humanly speaking, our pastor, uh, Pastor Sal, founded the church, and he was heavily influenced by Brother Gerald Fleming down in uh, Cincinnati, not Cincinnati, Dayton, Ohio, and uh, he was trained by J. Frank Norris in Fort Worth. And uh, J. Frank Norris came from Texas, he kind of was a whirlwind that came out of Texas, and we can trace these various 
churches back. Personally, I was led to Christ by my father, and he was led to Christ by Dallas Billington, pastor in Akron, Ohio. Dallas Billington was led to Christ by a pastor somewhere, uh, evangelist in Kentucky. I don't know where that evangelist uh, learned about salvation. But the point is not so much that we've got to have everything traced exactly. We're not talking about apostolic succession, but we do understand we came from somewhere. That's a little bit of a counterbalance to what I said last week. Uh, Just to make sure you remember, uh, not Nothing against fundamentalism, but the concept of what do we believe? I believe in the fundamentals of the faith. That's not a Bible phrase. I'm not saying that the fundamentals of the faith are not biblical. I said the phrase, the fundamentals of the faith, is not a biblical phrase. Why does, who even cares? Before long, you have taken that plant out of the soil in which it grew, and you've put it over here and say, come on, grow, grow, grow. You know the best place for that plant to grow? In the soil. You know the best place to learn your doctrine? From the words of the Bible. And then the systematic approach is just an outline. But we've got to be careful because if we're not, if we're not careful, we begin to emphasize one doctrine over another. And who should determine what doctrines are important? Well, the Scripture. That's why I go through verse by verse because I want God's volume control to be our volume control. Who sets the volume in the car? Well, Whoever's driving, that's whoever sets the, who who sets the volume of what's important in this church? Whoever's driving. It should be God. God's driving. He sets the volume. This is what we're listening to. Well, I kind of like this. Shut up. You're not driving. Amen. I'm I'm not saying that's what I'm saying. I would never say that. I'm saying that, you know, you might say that to your kids. Never to your wife. Are you kidding me? Don't be an idiot. Look at this. Systematic theology. Basically, generally, ten. See if you know what these are. Bibliology, that's, in, that's easy, doctrine of the scriptures. Theology proper, it's a doctrine of God himself. How about Christology, doctrine of Christ. Pneumatology, anybody? Holy Spirit. Anthropology, doctrine of man. Hamartiology, that's a good one. Doctrine of sin. Amen. That's like Barney Fife said. You, that's just one subject you can't say enough about. Sin. Soteriology. Salvation. Ecclesiology. Doctor of the church. How about angelology? Anybody? Eschatology. That's the doctrine of last things. Now, now I just read all those things. Man, wow. Just quick time out. None of those words are in Scripture. You say, well, 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 I'm just saying, relax. You know how you can know all that stuff? By reading and studying this right here. And you can know it all. I'm not, I'm not just saying get rid of all that stuff. It's a good system. Uh, I've been through systematic theology. I think it's good because it, it, it categorizes and, and, and in a systematic way you're going through and learning things, right? But, you know, there are some things that in, in theo- systematic theology that often are not mentioned, uh, some very important doctrines. One is Israelology, the doctrine of Israel. You know, that's one place that a lot of churches get, get messed up on. Where does, the, where does Israel fit? A lot of people, specifically Reformed theologians, believe that the church has replaced Israel. Man, you're, you're destroying the Bible if you do that. Right? So we got to be careful with system. You say Israelology. That's, what's that? Well, what I'm saying is, all of the things in systematic theology, who decided that that's what we're going to teach? Are those things important? Well, is the doctrine of what the Scripture says about the Holy Spirit important? Absolutely. You get messed up on that, and you could be out in the wilderness for years, spiritually speaking. How about the doctrine of Scripture? I might go so far as to say that's the most important thing. The most important thing you can know about the Bible is what the Bible says about itself, because it is on that foundation everything else rests. You've got to know what the Scripture says about itself. But the the problem when we codify, when we systematize it, if we're not careful, we begin to think, well, this is more important and that is more important. How about the doctrine of the kingdoms? That's not something that's in systematic theology. But you know why? Most theologians, many theologians don't understand that there is a distinction between a physical kingdom and a spiritual kingdom. 
right? What is that? Well, you'll find, we study all the scriptures, from what I can see, the kingdom of God is the huge thing that contains two parts. It contains a physical kingdom and a spiritual kingdom. What's crazy is the kingdom of God at whole is, that's the name of it, but then you also have the kingdom of God, the spiritual kingdom of God inside the whole kingdom of God. Uh, we can't go into it right now, but just, just keep this in mind. You've got two kingdoms, one is physical, one is spiritual. And uh, the Jews, when Jesus came, they were looking for Jesus to restore the physical kingdom. And if Jesus was supposed to come and restore all things, then why didn't he do it? Because they didn't accept the spiritual rule. They would not accept his spiritual kingdom. And so, as a result, he said, we're going to put the physical kingdom on hold. But I'm happy to tell you, he's, he has his eyes on that land, and he's never taken them off. He loves that land, and he's going to bring the, the, the nation of Israel through the tribulation, through the fire, and he's going to put them there, and from there, he's going to rule the universe. And it's coming. It's coming. It's coming. More sure than anybody gets elected in 2024. More sure than we get this country back or this country goes to hell in a handbasket. All that stuff, that is maybe, maybe not, who knows when. One thing is guaranteed, Jesus Christ is going to rule on this planet. <laughs> I love that. It's crazy. Who's going to win the Super Bowl? Don't know. It's toss-up. One thing we do know, Jesus Christ is going to rule. Amen. What's going to happen to the stock market? Don't know. Going to go up, going to go down. It, it won't even be Social Security by the time you get it. How many, how many years have you been hearing that? Right? Is it going to be there or not? Don't know. One thing I know, Jesus Christ is going to rule on this planet. Amen. Guaranteed. You don't, have to, you don't have to wonder about it. It's going to happen. So thank the Lord that we have that teaching in Scripture. But if you were to study systematic theology, you would find that embedded in various other places. I'm not saying nobody, they don't mention it. I'm saying it's not, it's not really talked about. It's kind of like the end, the last chapter in uh, eschatology. All this stuff happens. You know who people really want to hear about? The beast. <laughs> Christians want to hear about the Antichrist. <laughs> what about Jesus Christ? He's going to fix it all. He's, got, he's the one that's in charge. He's the only potentate. And, and so sometimes that, the doctrines of Scripture get lost. How about the doctrine of hell? Doctrine of Hell is, is not talked about very much, uh, specifically in, in, in um, systematic theology. It's mentioned among soteriology, the doctrine of salvation. What happens if someone is not saved eternally? Where do they go? Interestingly enough, when we look at hell, do you know how many times the word hell is mentioned in Scripture? Fifty-four. And interestingly enough, when you go into the, 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 the New Testament, specifically the, the emphasis in the letters to the churches, the Pauline epistles, the word hell is not mentioned other than twice in Acts, and then it shows up again in the book of James, and a little bit more until it gets to Revelation. So it's interesting that we would say, that's a doctrine we ought to be hammering. Somebody's got to preach on hell. And people say, Jesus preached on hell more than in heaven. I don't know about that. <laughs> you you, you got you to look at, how, how would you know whether he did? You'd have to read the words. You see, sometimes what we want to be true is not gauged by what it says, but what we've heard somebody thunder from the pulpit about. You can thunder all day long. You ain't going to change the words. The words are what they are. Is hell important? I think it's very important to not go to hell. Very important. But you can see how the different emphases are there that we don't always think about. You know one thing that is hammered to the New Testament church? It's what we're going to look at tonight. The doctrine of unity. Absolutely hammered. And by the time you get out of here, you're going to understand what I mean. You see, what does God want us to do? You know, the Bible says, knowledge puffeth up, but charity edifieth. Well, I want to get into the deep stuff, man. You talk, tell me about, tell me about the planets. Tell me about Jupiter, the fallen angels that are bound. T tell me about UFOs and Zechariah. Okay, we can talk about that. You know what you can't miss in Scripture? Unity. Is there a reason why we'd rather talk about UFOs than unity? <laughs> it's a whole lot easier to talk about something I ain't got nothing to do with. 
And maybe you were just on a bender. That's why you saw what you saw. One thing you can't miss in Scripture is the doctrine of unity. It's plastered all over the church age epistles. So we're going to do tonight what I want you to do. Don't worry about taking notes unless you want to. We're going to go through scriptures uh, canonically. That is the order in which the scriptures are laid out to make it easier. But we're going to just read the words. I'm not going to do a lot of deep diving into it. But I want you to have it. Don't feel, listen, you're about to get uh, waterboarded with the word of God. Okay, so relax. Don't worry. Follow along in scripture. Stay with me. And here, if we, if we don't get this, church... Who cares what you believe about the sons of God? I'm not saying that's not important. That's in Scripture. But that emphasis, that's not the emphasis in this age in which we're living. There is something that is very heavily mentioned. Let's look at it. Romans chapter 12. Did you find it? Romans chapter 12. Let's start with verse number 10. And what we're going to see here is... That uh, there's a phrase, one another, that's used over and over and over and over in Scripture. Romans 12, verse 10. Be kindly affectioned one to another with brotherly love, in honor preferring one another. Look at verse 16. Be of the same mind one toward another. Mind not high things, but condescend to men of low estate. Be not wise in your own conceits. Look at chapter 13, verse 8. Romans 13, 8. Owe no man anything but to love one another. For he that loveth another hath fulfilled the law. Chapter 14, verse 12. Romans 14, 12. So then every one of us shall give account of our brothers and sisters in Christ to God. Is that what it says? Shall give account of himself to God. Let us not, therefore, judge one another anymore. Talking about meat offered to idols, questionable things. But judge this, rather, that no man put a stumbling block or an occasion to fall in his brother's way. Look at chapter 15. 15, verse 5. Now the God of patience and consolation grant you to be like-minded one toward another, according to Jesus Christ Jesus. That ye may with one mind and one mouth glorify God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Wherefore, receive ye one another, as Christ also received us to the glory of God. Verse 13. Now the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that ye may abound in hope through the power of the Holy Ghost. Does the Lord want you to have hope? Yes. But he wants you to abound in it. Have more than you need. Out of bounds with hope. Verse 14, some of the kids say, off the chain. Right? Verse 14, and I myself also am persuaded of you, my brethren, that ye also are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, able also to admonish one another. Isn't that what dads are supposed to do with their kids? Bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord? Admonish. Look at chapter 16, verse 16. Oh my, you want church age doctrine properly applied? Here we go. 1616. Salute one another with an holy kiss. The churches of Christ salute you. Now we laugh about that because we understand there's a cultural context with that. How you would greet someone that you like, do that to your brothers and sisters in Jesus. There's very few people that I greet with a kiss. I mean, hardly even my wife. You know, I just, kind of a, I'm kind of a... No, very, very to myself. I'm just kidding. But, but you know, he, here they said salute one another with a holy kiss. There should be nothing that keeps you back from embracing your brother or sister in Christ. Now, we're not big on hugging here at Hope. We have, you know, hugging and all, you know, we do some of that. But that's up to your, your uh, it's up to two things. Number one, if you want to do it. Number two, if the person wants you to do it. Okay? Sometimes people forget that second one. We just hug. I'm a hugger. You gotta have something to hug to be a hugger, and I ain't it. <laughs> oh my soul! Go hug a tree. That's what I say. Amen. Amen. Nate, go hug a tree. Now he says, and look at look at he says uh, in First Corinthians. Let's keep going. First Corinthians chapter one. 
Verse 10. Now I beseech you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak what you are convinced is the right thing according to Scripture. <coughs> that you all speak the same thing, and that there be no divisions among you. I believe in rightly dividing. Not rightly dividing people. He said no divisions. You know, if there's right dividing, there's wrong dividing. One of the wrong divisions is to divide unnecessarily from your brothers and sisters in Christ. It's wrong. So there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. You say, well, I don't know. That's, that's a pipe dream. That'll never happen. Then why are you preaching the Bible and saying we just need to get back to sound doctrine? You don't believe it can happen. Listen, we understand people are going to take uh, varying degrees of agreement when they hear the word of God. You know what the Lord wants? He doesn't want us in our separate little silos. He wants us coming together. Why? He didn't give you the Bible yourself. He gave the body of Christ the word of God. Matter of fact, he gave it to us so we could go share with other people as well. It's not my book personally. It's my father's book that I'm privileged. And, you know, sometimes it feels like it's your book. But it should never be a personalized Bible to where it makes you want to stiff arm another brother or sister in Christ. If they don't believe the right thing according to Scripture, the Holy Spirit needs to work on them. But ever consider the fact that maybe you don't have it all nailed down either in Scripture? That's the harder one. The easy one is for me to look at you and say, I don't get it. Why you don't get it? The hard one is for me to say, I don't get what I don't get. He wants us to pull together, be of the same mind, same judgment, perfectly joined together in the same mind and the same judgment. Look at chapter 12 of 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. It says in verse number 4, now there are diversities of gifts. There's the division, but the same spirit. And there are differences of administrations, but the same Lord. And there are diversities of operations, but it is the same God, same Spirit, same Lord, same God, which worketh all in all. There's the Trinity. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to every man to profit with all. That means to profit everybody. Everybody in the church. The Spirit gives Something to every believer for everyone. He gave you something for everyone. You know what a lot of people think about their gifts? It's what makes them special. I don't know where we get this idea that, 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 that singing is one of the gifts of the Spirit. Uh, it is a manifestation of the Spirit. Be filled with the Spirit, speaking to yourselves in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. But this idea that some people are gifted musically, that's like a spiritual gift. It's... it's I'm thankful for them, and I would acknowledge, but, but I will say this. There's a difference between being skilled and being gifted. You could put a lot of time into something and learn it. Just practice. Wasn't that what you were told? It's what I was told. Practice, 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 and your skill will rise. That's different from the gifting of the Spirit of God. See, we think of the gifting of, well, I'm good at this or I'm good at that. But yeah, you're good at that kind of no matter where you go and what you do. What, what, is the Holy, what can the Holy Spirit use you to do specifically? That's the gift of the Spirit. Well, what would that look like? Well, we can, we're not talking about spiritual gifts tonight. But I, I just want you to think about this. Sometimes we get this, this weird thing about gifting. And we take surveys and stuff. And, and we've done that here. And I'm not saying it's wrong. I think that sometimes we look at it from a physical human capability, not from the spirit uh, the spiritual gifting in the sense of, of, of seeing it from the Lord's eyes in the words of Scripture. Not to get sidetracked. He says there are diversities of gifts, differences of administration, diversities of operations, but the manifest spirit, uh, manifestation of the Spirit is given to every man to profit with all. For to one is given by the Spirit the word of wisdom, to another the word of knowledge by the which Spirit? Same Spirit. To another faith by the what? Same spirit. Say with me, church. To another, the gifts of healing by the same spirit. You see, same spirit, same, same, same. To another, the working of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, discerning of spirits. To another, diverse kinds of tongues. To another, the interpretation of tongues. You know what's interesting here? Over and over and over again, you see that there are diversities. There are differences. There are manifestations. There is diverse 
kinds of tongues. Who is behind this division in this passage? Who is behind it? It's easy. Spirit. Which spirit? The same spirit. The same spirit is the one that creates divisions. So if you're filled with the spirit, you'll be okay with your older sister looking differently than you. You won't live your life wishing that you look like her. Why? Because you recognize that God's the one that made the distinction. So you won't spend your life wishing that you could be like that guy. You could preach or you could have that position or you had that ability or you had that family or you had that job. It's okay. You're not looking at them. You're looking up and saying, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? And if I will that he tarry till I come, that's what the Lord said, right, about John. If I will that he tarry till I come, what is that to thee? Follow thou me. You see, the the problem comes when we start dividing ourselves based on what we like, not based on what the Holy Spirit has gifted us to do. He says in verse number 12, all these work at that one and the self-same, in case you don't get it, one and the self-same spirit. And what does he do? Dividing to every man severally as he will. For as the body is one and half many members. That's not everybody is supposed to be the same. We're not robots. He said, as the body is one and half many members, and all the members of that one body being many are one body, so also is Christ. For by one spirit are we all baptized into one body, whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we be salary or hourly, whether we be bond or free, and have been all made to drink into one spirit. For the body is not one member, but many. I I love the thought that Brother George Antonio's had the other day. He said, I wouldn't be surprised when you get saved spiritually if the Spirit of God enters by way of your mouth. I don't know. I know when when man was first created, where did the air come from? Came from God's breath. Where did it go? Out of the nostrils. Maybe that's where it goes. The Bible says here, we've been all made to drink into one Spirit. Very interesting thought. It's the one spirit. Look at chapter, uh, where are we here? Look at chapter 12, verse number 23. Chapter 12. So he said, how, how, many, how many bodies are we talking about? One body. How, how many members? Many. If I were to take this watch apart, and I wish I had a, a, you know, a big West Clocks or something like that, take it apart and give you. If I were to take this, take this apart... And take each individual little piece and hand it to you. How many watches are we talking about? One. How many pieces? <coughs> many. You know, they're all designed for one watch. You know what happens in church sometimes? People say, well, I like being the hour hand. Now, I don't think we have a major problem with this. I'm, I'm just telling you, I, I, I think it's important for us, like a preemptive type of thing. Like some of you get your flu shot. This is, this is your unity shot, okay, ahead of time. Okay, if we were to take this watch and take all the pieces, we could never get it to function as it's supposed to until we put it together and every part has. Well, which, let me ask you this question. Which one is most important? They're all important. Why? Well, you would know it's 30, but is it 2.30 or 12.30 or, right? You would know it's 2, but is it 2 a.m. or is it 2 p.m.? Right? You have to have each piece. And somebody said, even a broken clock is right twice a day. I don't know. That's a blessing. Even a broken church is right twice every every now and again. Look at verse 23. Those members of the body which we think to be less honorable, upon these we we bestow more abundant honor. Such as kidneys. Right? Such as thyroid. Nobody's like, oh, now that guy has, has, that guy has a nice pituitary gland. Look at that. (laughs) Pretty. It's gross and disgusting. All you have to do is show someone inside of their body and people go, oh, that's disgusting. It's also the reason why you're alive. Isn't it interesting how we bestow more abundant honor on things like our nose, right? Can you, can you smell without a nose? Yes, you can. I mean, this thing right here? You can. Now, it's harder. Can you hear without these floppy things? Yes, you can. Now, it's not as good, 
But those things are, they're not the actual thing. They help the actual organ. Do you follow what I'm saying? The things that we don't think about are actually more important. What should that mean? Stop worrying about what everybody thinks about you and what you look like. And think about your function. What are you doing? What's your function? I wish people saw me more. You wish people saw your heart more, like your physical heart? (laughs) No way. You want to keep that thing buried. Keep it ticking and keep it hidden. I don't want to see it. It's, It's disgusting when we see inside of our body. Ooh, but it is absolutely essential to life. Same is true with the believers in the church. He said, our comely parts, in verse number 24, have no need, but God hath tempered the body together. The spirit-directed ratio. That's what temperance is. Spirit control. Tempered the body together, having given more abundant honor to that part which lacked. That there should be no schism in the body, but that the members should have the same care one for another. And whether one member suffer, all the members suffer with it. Or one member be honored, all the members rejoice with it. You know, some, we're, I think we do a great job of suffering with those who are suffering. But we were talking about this with Brother and Mrs. Niemer, who direct our member care uh, charity ministry. You know, we don't always think about rejoicing with people that rejoice. You got a new car. Praise the Lord. You know, you ever get a new car? You, gotta t- like, you can't tell anybody about it. Okay, hope it gets a little dirty so no one notices. It's brand new. Right? You get a new house, you know. Uh, you know, it's nice. I, I'm thankful. People can be actually thankful that we get a new house because our other house burned down. Right? You know, I'm just talking about human nature. It's hard to, to be thankful when other people get stuff that we didn't get. But, you know, the Lord says, if you need to suffer, if they suffer, suffer with them. If they're rejoicing, rejoice with them. Thank God you got a promotion. That's awesome, brother. I'm excited for you. What do you think about that, guys? <laughs> That's easier said than done. What did you get for Christmas? That's great! Right? You know, that's one of the things I love about Pastor Sal. I love about how he trained his daughter. She, I remember the, one of the first times I ever heard it. Something good, some, something happened to some other person. Good, never happened to us, but it happened to somebody else. <clears throat> and, and she said, good for them. And I was like, what is this phrase? Because I'm normally thinking, well, they must be compromising somewhere. Must have made a deal with the devil. (laughs) Good for them. That's a good phrase, believers. Good for them. Thank God. You hear something good happen to somebody? Thank God. Don't try to think of how they compromised. Just be grateful. Don't think, well, I don't know what happened to me. You know, Lord's about, he's just excited to give you gifts. Oh, man. Okay, we've got to get off this. This is too much preaching. Whether one member suffer, all the members suffer. Look at verse 27 now. Ye are the body of Christ and members in particular. Do you have time for a commercial? <clears throat> Illustration of the unity and diversity of the body. Listen to this. The carpenter's tools were holding a conference. Brother Hammer presided. Someone suggested that he leave because he was too noisy. He said, well, if I go, Brother Screw has to go too. You have to turn him around and around to get him to do anything. Brother Screw said, okay, if I leave, Brother Plain has to leave. All his work is on the surface. He didn't have any depth. Brother Plain said, okay, I'll go, but Brother Yardstick's going with me. He's always measuring folks as if he were the only one that's right. Brother Yardstick complained against Brother Sandpaper. Well, he ought to leave too because he's always so rough. He rubs people the wrong way. Of course, the saw was making cutting remarks. And the drill was kind of boring. <laughs> so all these carpenter tools are in kind of an argument with one another. And then in walks the carpenter of Nazareth. And he starts to work. He puts on his apron. He goes to the bench to make a pulpit from which to proclaim the gospel. He uses the hammer, the screw, the plane, the yardstick, the sandpaper, the saw, the drill. And when he's finished, the saw stands up and says, Brethren, I have observed that all of us are workers together with the Lord. Isn't that good? That's what the Lord has for us here. Take your Bibles and look at chapter 16. 1 Corinthians 16. 
Comparing spiritual things with spiritual is what we're doing tonight. Emphasizing an undervalued doctrine, the doctrine of unity. Chapter 16, verse 20. All the brethren greet you, greet ye one another with an holy kiss. How long has church division been a thing? Ever since there's been a church. You know, they had to be, they had to be instructed to greet one another. <laughs> Why? Because I'm there for Jesus. I'm not there for them. I'm there for the book, brother. Get there, get my book, and get out. He said, greet one another. That's twice now. We've read it. Go to chapter 12 of 2 Corinthians. Keep going. We're rolling. 2 Corinthians 12. Look at verse 18. 2 Corinthians 12, 18. He said, I desired Titus, and with him I sent a brother. You know, you ever realize Paul was telling people to go everywhere? <laughs> go here, come here. He was, a, he was a man that had, a, he was kind of antsy. He said, uh, did Titus make a gain of you? Walked we not in the same spirit? Walked we not in the same steps? Again, thank you that we excuse ourselves unto you. We speak before God and Christ, but we do all things, dearly beloved, for your edifying. For I fear lest when I come, I shall not find you such as I would, and that I shall be found unto you such as ye would not, lest there be debates Envyings, wraths, strifes, backbitings, whisperings, swellings, tumults. That's the exact opposite of verse 18. Same spirit, same steps. They were going at each other. That's the works of the flesh. Look at chapter 13. Look at verse 12. Here we go again. 13, 12. Greet one another with an holy kiss. You say... You ain't getting me to greet them with a holy kiss. How about a holy handshake? And again, this is preemptive. I don't know there's any fighting going on in the church. Holy hand, what does that mean? Nothing fake, nothing disingenuous, no deception, no hypocrisy, holy hands. Hello, brother. Greet one another with a holy kiss. Look at Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5. Look at verse 13. Galatians 5.13. For brethren, you have been called unto liberty. Amen! Only use not liberty for an occasion to the flesh, but by love serve one another. Now listen, we, 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 this, this is not basketball with a free throw. Where we're all sitting there, that ball leaves a hand, box out. You've got to create some space here in the ministry. No, no, no. We're not here to push each other around. We're here to work together. Right? You, you, you know, you know there's, there's, there's a thing that happens in basketball sometimes where when you're playing and, and, and two of the same players, two, two players on the same team go up for the same rebound. Guys that play basketball, what do you say? When you go up, you realize same team. Right? Why? We're not fighting each other. We're playing together. You know one of the worst persons I've ever played with in basketball? My brother. And you know what he says? The same thing. Why? Because you know how much better they should be playing. You could be doing a lot better than you are doing. There's no one more, more irritating to play with than a sibling. And yet that's what the Lord's called us to do. Play together with our siblings. Our brothers and sisters in Christ. And if we line up according to hobbies, how different are we than the lost world? We line up according to Jesus Christ. Not according to our age group. Hey, there's an understanding. There's an affinity for the same age group. There's an affinity for the same place in town and so forth and family and all biological family. But as far as God's concerned, he says, I want you to be the same in Christ, the unity of the spirit. Continue, if you would, look at this. He says, all the law, verse 14, all the law is fulfilled in one word, even in this, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. What is that one word? Love. But if ye bite and devour one another, take heed that ye be not consumed one of another. You've heard about the snake eating its own tail. That's what happens in church. Biting and devouring. Verse 26, let us not be desirous of vainglory. Provoking one another, envying one another. You see, this is the wrong kind of one another. We're pushing. We know how to push buttons. Am I right? 
The people that you love, you know how to push their buttons. How many have been married for five minutes at least? You've been married five minutes? You know how to push the other person's buttons. You know what to say because you've learned by experience what makes them, what makes them angry. He says, don't provoke one another. Don't envy one another. If you're envious of someone, you can't speak a peaceable word to them. That's what happened with Joseph's brethren. They were envious of him, and they could not speak peaceably to him. Why? Can I tell you why? They wanted what he had. That's why they couldn't speak peaceably. Look at chapter 6. Look at verse 2. Bear ye one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 12. I want you to see a, a principle here that could help you. And we beseech you, brethren, to know them which labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake and be at peace among yourselves. There is a connection somehow with spiritual leadership and the ability to get along with other people. There's a connection. But notice he said, be at peace among yourselves. Look at Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. We're making good progress. Continue on here. Bear with me. Don't have to take tons of notes. I want you to just be, be kind of soaked in the word here tonight. Ephesians chapter 4. I, be, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that ye walk worthy of the vocation wherewith ye are called. With all lowliness and meekness, with long suffering, forbearing one another in love. Forbearing. I'm going to bear what you have done for me. Against me. I'm going to put up with you. It's okay. Why? Notice a semicolon at the end of verse 2. What does lowliness, meekness, long-suffering, forbearing look like and why? Endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. You know, if everyone were the same already, there would, there would be no need for endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit. Endeavor is not just, well, I gave it a shot. Endeavor is the major undertaking It's a mission. Verse 4, there is one body and one spirit, even as you're called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all, above you and I, through all. He's working in us, but he's not bound by us. And in you all. The same God that's in me is in you. And he's above both of us. How many baptisms are there? Well, for this particular purpose, talking about the spiritual baptism, not water baptism, spiritual baptism. It won't take the time to go into that tonight, but just how many? One. One, one, one. Okay, I get it. Well, are you sure? How many times did he mention the word hell in in the New Testament? Get out there and tell them they're going to hell. He doesn't say that. He does say... Be of the same mind. Be of the same mind over and over and over again. Look at chapter 4, verse 11. And he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers. Why? For the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure, the stature, the fullness of Christ. He said he wants us to be perfectly joined together. Ephesians chapter 4 goes on to talk about that. Which every joint supplieth. How do we do this? We're coming towards Jesus. Every one of us. All over the place. We're coming towards Jesus and we get joined together. Okay? So you shouldn't be embarrassed to pray together. It can be awkward at first. But can I tell you why it's awkward? Because you haven't done it. Once you do it, it won't be as awkward. Every time you do it, awkwardness goes down. Listen, on Wednesday nights here in the auditorium, we, we, we've been doing that. And I watch, it's awesome. People are doing that prayer together more and more and more and more. And yes, we should pray with our spouses, and that's a blessing. But guys, listen, gentlemen, ladies, don't just pray with your spouse because it's the easiest thing. Hey, listen, you, you should pray with your spouse. I'm not saying you shouldn't. And I'm not saying every time you pray with your spouse in church, you're doing wrong. I'm saying that you've got to stretch yourself out a little bit. Because isn't it true? You can pray anytime with your spouse. And again, I pray with my spouse. I'm not saying, I'm just saying as believers, we've got to see past biology. 
We've got to see past the physical human connections and see into the spiritual realm where God wants us to be. Are you still with me tonight? No, I see that. Okay, very good. Thank you for the honesty. Amen. He's not. Uh, it's a joke. Look at ver- Let's look at Philippians. Philippians. Oh, we had to drag Philippians into it. You know, Philippians is the, is, uh, the church that had more joy, it seems, than any other church. And here's the reason. Because they got the message. Chapter 2, verse 1, If there be therefore any consolation in Christ, and there is, if any comfort of love, plenty, if any fellowship of the Spirit, more than I can imagine, if any bowels and mercies in Christ, more than I could ever understand. If that is true, fulfill ye my joy, that ye be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Let nothing be done through strife or vain glory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Chapter 3, verse 16. Nevertheless, whereto we have already attained, let us walk by the same rule. Let us mind the same thing. Brethren, be followers together of me, and mark them which walk so, as ye have us for an example. Chapter 4. I beseech Yodius and beseech Syntyche that they be of the same mind in the Lord. Colossians chapter 3. Look at verse 13, Colossians 3.13. Forbearing one another and forgiving one another. If any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. Notice there, he didn't just say forbear, put up with. He said forgive. Why? Here's why. One of the reasons, verse 16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom. The Word of Christ cannot dwell in you richly if church is nothing more than a building that you come to and connect with. Well, who's, who makes the call on that? When are you really involved in the church? Well, the Holy Spirit will direct you. And I don't even think, I don't think it's something you can point to and say, that was the day where I really, it's a spirit-directed event. It's a spirit-directed process where you are gradually drawn more and more to the things of God. But that, that means you're drawn more to the things, uh, to the other believers who also are interested in the things of God. Now, what happens in this case is this. As you become one with your brothers and sisters in Christ, then the word of Christ finds more elbow room to work in. Why? Because as the Spirit of God is working on me, He's going to use you to help me create space in my heart. Why? I've got room for a certain amount of people. How many find it? Even sometimes you don't have room for your family in your heart. Right? We get selfish. We get really kind of grinchy in our hearts. Kind of like the Grinch. We want to just live in a cave by ourselves, come down and make fun of everybody and go back up to the cave. That's what happens in church. The Lord wants to use other people. You say, well, I don't want to be fake. I don't want to be, I want to be a hypocrite. You, you know the reason why you're going to feel fake is because you're not doing what you should be doing. But you reach out and you say, hey, sister so-and-so, how are you doing? You say, I don't even know her. Of course you don't know her. You've never met her. The question is, should you know her? If you're in the, if, if in the same church, you should be listening to the Holy Spirit and say, talk to her. Well, I don't think she's going to want to talk to me. Well, I've got lots of scripture here that says I should be talking to her. So not worried about what she's gonna, how she's going to treat me and she's going to make fun of me or she's going to think I'm weird or I'm, I, I, I'm not on her level or I don't have the same place in life. Listen, we're not talking about physical things. It's spiritual. We're connecting with one another in a spiritual way. What is that? Holy Spirit, He's in me. He's above all, through all, and in you all. He's in me. He's in you. What is the Holy Spirit telling you to do? You say, well, what would He tell me to do? We're reading about it right here. The Holy Spirit wrote the Bible. This is how you know what the Spirit wants you to do. You read what He said. Then He said, let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom. Teaching and admonishing one another. You know, I watch people in song service, and they're like, <laughs> my favorite thing is people like trying to do the words. I'm like, I had an idea for you. Now, I'm, not trying to be, I'm not trying to be mean or jerk. I'm just saying, He said teaching and admonishing one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. So what does that mean? Well, if you're, if you're a person that knows how to read parts, it doesn't mean it's all about your musical enjoyment. Right? It's also not about the fact that, well, I'm not a music person. Try! 
He told you to try, to sing. Hey, listen, it's, nobody has to be perfect. Open your mouth. Open a book. Here, here's, I'm trying not to be facetious. I just can't get it. I, it's like I'm, I'm, I can't help but laugh. I see people trying to think of words to sing. They're in the book. Yeah. <laughs> Am I being too mean? I'm sorry. Please forgive me. It just, I'm like, it's so good. That's just flesh. That's just flesh. It's so funny to me. But, but, but look what he says. Teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns. Was that written to John Roquet? Well, yeah. Was that written to the Nemers? Because they sang, you know, and teach and admonish. Well, yeah, it was written to them. You know who else it was written to? You. You. You know, when you sing and mean it when you sing, you say, I'm not a good singer. Well, that's okay. God's a good listener. And I can tell you this, when, in Psalm chapter 40, when he said, he hath put a new song in my mouth, many shall, what's the next word? Not hear, see. Many shall see, what? Me singing a new song. You know what that does? For believers, I'm watching you, you're singing to God, I'm going, wow, I know that feeling. He's a good God, isn't he? You're teaching me your relationship and love for God when you sing. It's not difficult. And listen, I'm not coming down and you saying, you need to be singing louder. I want volume. I'm not saying that. I'm saying I'm looking for heart. God's looking for heart. He said singing and making melody where? In your heart to the Lord. Okay, so, by the way, there's, there's, he, did, he did make a distinction between singing and making melody. Just so you know, don't worry about that. Do the best you can. And even if it's not the melody, at least you're working on it. Amen? Forgive me, that's a little side note. Look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Now, we're, we're working hard, guys, and this is a heavy doctrine, a heavy doctrine of unity, so forgive me. 4, 9. But as touching brotherly love, ye need not that I write unto you, for ye yourselves are taught of God to do what? Love one another. Look at chapter 4, verse 18. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. Look at 5, uh, 11. Wherefore, comfort yourselves together. You know, this, this church was in a, a, a difficult, trying time. A lot of persecution. People were telling them that the, you know, the rapture had taken place and there was a lot of problems there. Stress. You know what they needed? Comfort. Well, God, we want you to come down and comfort us and thank God for the comforter. But we also have a responsibility to comfort one another. That's hard for me. You know why? Because even myself, I ignore pain. And I pretend like it's nothing. It's nothing. It's no big deal. A lot of guys are like that. Be careful with that. Because if you ignore your own pain, it can easily lead to ignoring other people's pain. Comfort one another. What do people need sometimes? They need comfort. So I don't know what to say. Say something on a card. Say something. I am praying for you. Sign your name. And send it to him. I'm thankful. Again, I don't want you to think that this message is, y'all ain't doing it, so start. You you are already doing it. I've had many people say, thank God. We heard heard tonight, Brother Mike praying. He was talking about how many people have been a comfort and helped him. What I'm saying is, keep doing it. Pour it on. Keep going. Look what he says in chapter, let's go over to Hebrews chapter 3. We've got three more passages. Hang in there. You're doing good. Well, no, we have more than that. Forgive me. We have more than that. But I'm learning. I hope you're learning. Hebrews chapter 3, look at verse 13. 313, but exhort one another daily while it is called today. Flip over to chapter 10, verse 25. Hebrews 10, 25. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another. And so much the more as you see the day approaching. Folks say, we're supposed to get together more often. Well, we, we should get together as often as we assemble together, whatever the established time is. But he didn't say meet together more. He said exhort one another more. Did you see that? Did you see that there? It's, I think maybe time to close the message here. Look at James chapter 3. we got to keep going. James chapter 3. I want to hear some doctrinal preaching. Well, you're going to use the Bible, I guess, then, right? James 3, 13. Who is a wise man and endued with knowledge among you? Let him show out of a good conversation his works with meekness of wisdom. But if ye have bitter envying and strife in your hearts, glory not and lie not against the truth. This wisdom 
descendeth not from above, but is earthly, sensual, devilish. What? There's going to be certain people who are bitter, who have envy and strife in their hearts, but sound like they have wisdom. Hmm. Got to watch out for that. This wisdom descendeth not from above. Verse 16, for where envying and strife is, there is confusion and every evil work. When you can't figure it out, it's not of God. When you're confused about what's going on, God's not the author of confusion. You know what could be the case? Could be envy and strife. Could be bitterness. Look what he says. But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, and easy to be entreated, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. And the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace of them that make peace. God's looking for peacemakers. This quote, listen to this poem. Believe as I believe, no more, no less, that I am right and no one else confess. Feel as I feel, think only as I think, eat what I eat and drink but what I drink. Look as I look, do always as I do. Then and only then will I fellowship with you. That seems to be the mantra of many a church. Flip over to 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 22. Seeing that you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit unto unfeigned love of the brethren, see that you love one another with a pure heart fervently. Verse 8, finally, be ye all of one mind, having compassion one of another. Love as brethren, be pitiful, be courteous. Chapter 5, verse 5, likewise ye younger, Submit yourselves unto the elder. Yea, all of you be subject one to another and be clothed with humility. For God resisteth the proud and giveth grace to the humble. Humble yourselves therefore into the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time. Verse 14. Greet ye one another with a kiss of charity. Peace be with all you that are in Christ Jesus. Amen. Let's look at 1 John chapter 3. 1 John chapter 3. When are we going to get to the deep stuff? Well, we talk about deep stuff sometimes, but there's nothing deeper than this subject of unity. Nothing harder. Look at 1 John 3.11. For this is the message that you'd heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. Verse 23. And this is his commandment, that we should believe on the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another as he gave us not suggestion, commandment. Chapter 4, verse 7. Brethren, let us love one another. For love is of God, and everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. Verse 12. No man hath seen God at any time. If we love one another, God dwelleth in us, and his love is perfected in us. Second John 5. And now, I beseech thee, lady, not as though I wrote a new commandment unto thee, but that which we had from the beginning, that we love one another. You know, when this church is taken out of here, the beast and the false prophet take over, you know what happens with one another? The same thing physically happens that spiritually happens in a church when the love goes out. Look at chapter 6 of Revelation, the last verse tonight. Chapter 6, verse 4. And there went out another horse that was red. Power was given to him that sat thereon to take peace from the earth, and that they should kill one another. And there was given unto him a great sword. Church, the doctrine of unity is hammered in Scripture. And we've gone long tonight, and I knew that it would. But I want you to understand it's so important. Because until we understand that, you may look at church and look at it like a buffet. You may look at it like your favorite restaurant. You want to go to Chipotle? I don't know, maybe. How about Wendy's? Nah. Bob Evans? No, that's old people's restaurant. Well, I don't know. Where do you want to go? McDonald's? Ooh, gross. 
You know, all those are different restaurants. And who gets to make the call? I do. Church is not a restaurant. Church is not a buffet where you choose what you want and refuse what you don't. You don't just get huffy and mad and say, well, then fine, I'll go where I want to go. There's a doctrine that you best not break. God knows what he's looking for in his church. And he said it a hundred different ways to try to get it through our thick skull. And what is that? One God, Father of all, who is above all, through all, and in you all. May the Lord help us with the doctrine of unity. Let's bow our heads in prayer tonight.